0: Welcome to Revere Asset
1: Management's Your Money, with Danny Stewart. The market will always overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And Don Vandenborg.
0: Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep.
1: California dreaming on such a winner's day, except for the taxes, People in California are leaving in droves. They can't afford it anymore. They don't like it. They're done. There's an article about that in the show notes if you want to read that. And the 10 best days in the market assumption. If you miss the 10 best days, it cuts your return in half. We're going to tell you why that's a big lie and it's nonsense. Complete, utter nonsense. If you have an advisor telling you if you just missed the 10 best days in the market, fire their ours right away because they need to go they don't understand anything and will the social security crisis accelerate as more citizens take their benefits early rather than later Because they realize once you turn on the benefits, it's really hard to negotiate and take it back. But they can certainly jigger the way they calculate the benefits before you turn on the spigot. It's similar to pensions uh, like the Dallas Fire and Police. I may talk about that if I have time. And speaking of pensions, de-risking pensions, a.k.a. the transfer to the insurance companies. It's a way to get out of PBIC the pension benefit guarantee it's similar to FDIC it's a way to get out from under the pension guarantee corporation did you know did you know if your company transfers the pension obligations to an insurance company. There's no longer guarantees on that pension. Now it's the guarantee of the insurance company, not an agency of the government. Then you know what these insurance companies do? They offshore. They send it to a subsidiary in like Nevis or or the Bahamas, right? And then then you got to go try to get your money and sue down there. So anyway, that's now is that the black swan? Because if that starts happening, a lot of these pensions get in trouble. That could be a problem, or is it? The black swan, is it Japan? Japan is having some trouble. But, 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 most important and the bottom line and what's crucial for you and your money is the tale of two charts. And we're going to get into the tale of two charts in just a little while. See how I did that, Don? That was kind of professional uh, uh, teaser uh, for the production value. Um, but first, and you're
0: th- you're incre- you're incredibly clever. You can't sing worth a damn, but you're incredibly I, 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 clever. Hey, I,
1: I, I, I do know that. I need some backup singers. I, we need to look at the you're not, Revere you're budget. you not going to get one here. <laughs> anyway. Um, so where was I? I lost my train of thought. Now I shouldn't shouldn't have gone off on a tangent. Okay,
0: so Rain I train of thought has gone off the rails.
1: Uh, well, that's <laughs> so it's no different than any other show we do, folks. Correct. Look, correct. We're not yes. professional. We're not like CNBC where we're polished marketing journalists without any clue about finance and stocks. But we know just enough financial jargon to. to to sound like we know what we're talking about on CNBC, we're actually not polished, not smooth, but we got the data. We got the data. Ooh, I got to write that down. We got the data.
0: And the we process. got the data.
1: Anyway, a couple of things in the show notes. Um, um, why are so many estate plans out of date? Okay. Uh, 10 things you need to know for estate planning for cross-quarter cross-border couples if you've got one non-american citizen and one american citizen which is more common now it gets really really because the 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 non-american citizen doesn't get the estate exempted to get they don't get a lot of stuff so you really got to be careful when you do estate planning and then we also have um, 10 things, that uh, advisors, but you, I put it on there for you to read too. 10 things that people need to know about assisted living facilities if you're older. Those are all planning things. I don't want to grind the show to a halt, but we're a holistic full service firm, a, a, a boutique wealth management firm. So if you need that kind of planning stuff, I'm well-versed in all that. We're very good at that. I just don't talk about it on the show because it's very specific to each individual like for the tax planning if you're self-employed there's lots of stuff you can do if you're not self-employed it's very it's limited so in any event you can reach out to me if you need any of that but my man crush jeffrey 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 gunlock double line capital trims the riskiest of investment grade high grade high-grade bonds, that means investment-grade bonds out of rate concerns. So, you know, uh, investment grade go from A to, I think, down to double B. I don't think single B's, maybe single B, but anyway, down to the level. So he's trimming off those lowest B-level investment grade just to have the highest grade because he thinks the credit spreads, which we talked about a couple shows ago, Michael Ramos did, if if the credit spreads will widen, that means that the bonds relative to treasuries will sell off or lower quality bonds. Junk bonds will sell off. I love the old joke on Wall Street. What's the difference between a high-yield bond and a junk bond? If the broker's trying to sell it to you, it's a high-yield bond. It's good. If he's trying to get you to sell it because it transferred in and he's trying to sell you some other product, then it's a junk bond. Anyway, there's no difference. Um, Anyway, so, basically, Jeffrey Gundlach is worried about the economy and re- recession, and then Jeremy Siegel uh, from Wharton, famous Wharton School uh, business uh, teacher, says that big tech stocks are showing over-speculation size. So, with that, I want to go drive, dive directly into the mailbag, but... When I, when I do this, I want to talk about, well, I'll do this one mail back first and I'm going to go to the second mail back because it ties in definite, it ties in directly to the topic. So this is an article on the pensions. A listener sent me this article, and and he kind of paraphrased one of the a couple paragraphs in the article because he wanted me to explain it. If insurers now holding retirement pension plan assets go insolvent, uh, their lifetime limit payments on most states, because each state kind of kind of insures it, is three hundred thousand. So if you're seventy two years old and your annual pension is thirty thousand a year. That means after 10 years, you're done, right? If it's 50000 a year, you only get six years of pension, okay? So if that happens, you're out of luck. So I said, here's the bottom line. Companies and even the government PBGIC are trying to get out of their obligations. So if you have a pension transferring to these insurance companies or you're worried about the cap on your pension, your 300000 cap, If you've got the option when you retire, should you roll it out to an IRA rollover? Almost always, I like the rollover option because then you can control your own destiny. And you also don't, don't leave the l- lump sum to the insurance company or the pension plan if you die before your life expectancy. If you die a little early, that whole lump sum is gone. So once you turn on that annuity, if you get two payments and get hit by a bus, that whole lump sum is gone. So you only got two payments of the hundreds of thousands of dollars you had on your behalf. So that's one thing. All right. Now I'm going to read this second thing because I was talking about uh, the, the 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 tale of two charts. So. We've got this email this 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 other mailbag and it said, "Hey, I recently found you. This is JJ on 215. Recently found you guys and love your show and nightly videos. Thanks for putting out such valuable free content." My question, more like a comment, is that this market is crazy. It just can't keep going up. It doesn't make sense. And we we have to get a pullback soon. There's that word we have to. He's trying to impart his feelings his emotions on the market that doesn't work that's my opinion i wanted to get your thoughts thanks jj me this will be a theme of the week show and i and even though i sound like a broken record because the last couple shows or last couple months of shows uh in our intro i say the markets always overshoot to the upside and the downside okay in this case it's the upside i actually wrote downside but i meant the upside and the truth is i have it And using one of my mom's quotes, I haven't the foggiest idea uh, how much further this can go, but it could be very well much longer, much further, and a lot longer out in time than you think. That is why I find comfort in our rules, especially our sell rules. I will discuss this at length on the show. Thanks for listening and tell your friends about us, Dan. Okay, now I talked about the tale of two charts. There was a guy on Twitter that sent out this chart. He's a, 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 actually a money manager, a professional, and he put this chart on. Don, can you sh- show that chart? And he basically says the markets today are, look exactly like 1929 so he basically is 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 hypothecating his hypothesis is that we're about to drop 80 percent 90 percent so that's his chart there don's got it up on the screen if you're if you're watching on on your computer if you're just happening to be listening it shows the chart of 1929 overlaid with this chart and it's kind of peaking and then the 1929 chart just goes vertically down, similar to 2008. Now, here's the funny thing, though. We were looking at this chart, and we were thinking, and the guys kind of looked back and forth. And then one of our consultants, Alex, along with a couple guys on the team, went, wait a minute. It also looks very, very highly correlated to a chart of 1995, about halfway through, where the market continues to go higher it doesn't pull back it goes on for another run for a lot longer so the big question the big question look another so are we like 1929 are we like 1995 or neither look no two markets are ever the same but they have they have similarities and i don't know which one's closer to reality and but I mean, whether we're going to go down hard or whether we're going to rally for longer before we roll over. But you would need two completely different portfolios for each one of those scenarios. Okay, a pipe chart asset allocation won't cut it either way, in my opinion. And here's the problem: when we beat this, uh, beat this to death the last few weeks and in, in a month or two, when you've got a totally diversified. Asset allocation pie chart, especially if you've got a global, they, they don't say this out loud to you, but it's called a global asset allocation, like a 60-40 pie chart, a balanced portfolio where well, you can have balanced in the United States, 60-40 stocks to bonds, or you can have like a global allocation, which is what most people have. They'll have some international, you know, Europe, Japan, then they'll have a sliver of emerging markets. Both of those have been getting slaughtered right and then you've got some other stuff so you've got a bunch of stuff that's going down that's off studying you offsetting the stuff that's going up so you've got over diversification that's pulling you down and holding you back during a strong uptrend in some good sectors in the american markets right and then when when it rolls over and just when it sells off in a bear market just at the time you quote, need diversification to offset because the theory is that some stuff will be going up to offset the things that are going down. It's a big lie. It all goes down together, albeit at different rates. It it all becomes correlated together. So when it hits the fan and you're in a correction or especially a bear market, you don't want diversification. That's the last thing you want. You want cash and maybe treasury bonds and maybe gold and if treasury bonds and gold are both positively correlated that's a fears trade that's that's a that's a i'm not talking about a couple of days i'm talking about over months that's 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 not healthy market in 2008 the only two sectors that went up were gold and treasury bonds everything else even investment grade bonds were down okay so that's the problem with that scenario now with with his comments i get the fact that These markets, based on fundamental valuation metrics, are very, very lofty. So we're either going to have to grow into these earnings and become more profitable, more productive, have companies' earnings go up, theoretically, because of AI. That's what this whole story is about. Or price is going to have to come down and roll over and sell off hard. Technicals look strong. We've had a couple really ugly down days because of CPI report or inflation or whatever. But the very next day or two, the market snaps back and rallies. So it's showing real resilience. So with that setting the table, Don, I am going to let you take it from there and give me your thoughts both on that guy's comment and the markets in general.
0: Well, I'm glad the table's set. I don't know a salad fork from a dessert fork, but I'll try <laughs> to uh, follow up on what you said here. Uh, and you mentioned twice you know two recent attempted pullbacks in this bull market two weeks ago the market initially took jay powell uh that he was not in sync with the market expectations and we had a hard day down on fed day that's the first line that i drew there we bounced the next two days, perfectly as if they were completely in sync with what he said. Then earlier this week on Tuesday, we had a CPI report out that missed, the in, uh, showing inflation is not quite dead yet, and we initially gapped down, sold off hard, closed in the upper third of the range, follow up the next two days. Uh, and we're right back to where we started before the gap down. Then this morning we had PPI miss, missed even worse than CPI missed. We initially uh, opened about flat, sold down about a half percent, and we're right near highs of the day right now. That's what bull markets do, Dan. Uh, you know, the guy asked you it, it has to pull back, doesn't it? Well, at some point it will. yeah, but more money has been lost anticipating a correction than in the correction itself. And right now we had a big breakout above 4,800. I've got it flagged here, and we're just up, up, and away since that breakout. And the 50-day moving average is now above that breakout level. The 50-day moving average uh, will get tested a couple of times during a market uptrend. We haven't tested it yet. Uh, this excellent r- wave that we're riding, and that's the uh, that's what I keep repeating. When you get on a wave as a surfer, you don't know if it's gonna die out within 20 or if it's gonna take you all the way to shore. Uh, We're just riding this wave, uh, stops in place, uh, selling some things when they're extended. Not everything that we buy works. We we get those out of the portfolio quickly, uh, but it's a bull market. You know, that guy, uh, like you said, the two comparisons that you made, the bottom line is nobody knows. There are full of predictions, there are, the market's full of predictions. You had two completely separate ones. One, a guy showing that it's 1929 and we're getting ready to crash. The other one, a very valid comparison to 1995. Um, nobody knows, Dan. We're, we're staying with the leading stocks and the leading sectors until they stop going up. Uh, we just keep raising our stops. Uh, we keep a metric in place in-house called re, uh, Revere Estimated Balance at Risk or REBAR. We update that's every day. Uh, our stops got hit tomorrow we'd have a five percent drawdown and we'd be out of the market that would take something pretty drastic for it uh to help but the bottom line is as we keep raising the stops and prices keep going higher the equity curve can in that direction and the drawdown keeps going higher and higher i'm sorry the floor for the drawdown keeps going higher and higher in other words locking in profits when the market finally does correct. Now, should we have mocked, locked a bunch of it in here? Well, the market says no, it kept going higher. Should we have locked it in here? No, and then the answer to the last two sell-off days is continually no. I've heard one definition of a bull market described as uh, anything that you sell, you have to buy back higher, and that's what we continue to see. That, now, That's not to say that everything doesn't go down, and I'm going to, as one of my segments this week, talk about, uh, we uh, we talk in the videos about uh, a statistic that I use for managing position size into earnings to limit the possibility of a drawdown. And I've got three examples of stocks that were acting great, uh, that hit their minus 2% expected loss. And we would have been stopped out in the portfolio if that happened. So not every, just because it's a bull market, it doesn't give you a license to get, uh, to, to throw risk to the wind, uh, you, you always maintain the risk parameters. Watch the equity curve go higher. Keep your stops in place and just follow the process that we've put together over the years here at Riviera.
1: Oh, wow. Listen, I, I love that quote. That was so apropos. You said more money has been lost anticipating a bear market than the bear market itself. So, so many doom and gloomers that would get negative and sell out and then miss gains to the upside, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah. Well, and I just wanna clarify, I know market, what you're it, Yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, not only a bear market, but even a correction. I mean, we've right. been extended four to 6% on the S&P 500 for weeks. You know, that's typical that this doesn't mean sell everything. You know, it right. means stay cognizant that you're extended. Don't plunge everything in if you're lightly invested, uh, but uh, be prudent as with your risk management and with your entry points.
1: Right. And I knew that that's what you meant. I wanted to clarify that and repeat that in plain English. So people absolutely picked up on that. And, you know, look, the bottom line, folks, and we've say this all the time at Revere price is truth. Price is, and price and volume is pretty much the main thing. If if you if you're arguing with price, you're arguing with truth. I mean, this guy believes that the market. And look, I, I'm not taking shots at, at, at JJ. Um, I'm just saying JJ is a new listener, and so he needs to understand that we follow rules and we sell. We we have rules to get us in and get us out. So I feel much more comfortable getting in at these levels knowing that they're fundamentally fully valued, very rich. Because if it does roll over and turn around, I may get nipped and clipped a little bit. I may get a little whipsaw. I may get a, a 3 or 4 or 5% loss, but I'm not going to get 20, 15, 20, 30, 35. Okay? In fact, Don's protection portfolio has never had a bear market, and the S&P has had three during the same Time period. All right. Uh, one other thing I do want to touch on, because Mike had talked about this. Mike picked up on this a little bit. Um, and he talked about this on our morning call. And that is Japan. Japan is kind of in a tough pickle right now. You know, in 1991, they really started monetizing the debt and they really started going all in kind of what we're doing here in America now. Early on, we're starting to monetize and print and printing more money than we can absorb. Well, now Japan, their interest rates are still down at less than 1% because they are so, but the cost of living is, is success. Their cost of living is much higher. It's, it's hurt. They, people in Japan are finding it hard uh, to pay for things. The problem is they can't let their interest rates go up because if they go up, their interest expense completely makes them insolvent. They've got so much debt. Their debt to GDP is over 350%. So they can't have rates rise. it's, it's literally makes them insolvent. They, they, they are in a tough spot. So when we talk about things that could come out of left field that people aren't talking about, that's why I brought those couple of things up. If you started to get a trouble in our pension system, because a lot of pensions are under... The majority of pensions are underfunded. They're not... Sufficiently funded. All right. In fact, one of those bailouts a few years ago was really meant to try to get money to the states to get the state pensions funded back again because they were about to go, California was about to go insolvent. Their pensions are about to take them down. So these pensions are a big deal. Also, you've got country risks like Japan. They literally could go on the ropes in the next couple of years, right? and i've said that a few years i mean at some point they they're they're going to run out of steam it's a confidence game once that confidence is broken then you're in trouble one last thing China's slowing down a lot too and if they slow down that's hard because they're a debt driven uh consumer based not consumer they're they're they they service the world they make they manufacture to the world and this debt driven Uh, world if we get too much debt and people can't start affording it consumer credit card debt is hitting all-time levels people will start pulling in their talons and they'll stop spending as much and that's really the key where is consumer spending because if that slows down it's a it's a whipsaw effect and it's like a bullwhip they call it a bullwhip and the the worst one affected is the one at the very end the manufacturer so if if the economy slow down, that really puts China in a bind in any event i 'm not saying that contagion will happen i 'm saying it 's a distinct possibility, and that 's also why you 're seeing central banks, not the United States, not the Fed, but all the other central banks now are talking about stimulus again they and what they do folks look let, let, let's let 's just call the politicians for what they are in the central banks they 're going to take turns kind of stimulating to keep the keep prices up, and keep everybody happy, especially during an election year here in the United States. But the Fed really is the main central bank of the world. The Fed is the big one, okay? so. The Fed will be the last one to lower rates and to be accommodative. They want the other central banks to do it kind of in 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 turns. You know, the Japanese central bank will kind of start, and then the Chinese—actually, China's already announced uh, stimulus just this past week. And then the ECB will do it, and they'll kind of take turns to keep everybody happy. And then finally, it will come off on the Fed, but that's months down the road. Whole point is, we've got politicians and central bankers— stimulating and wanting to keep this party going. But then we've got some problems on the other side where some things are starting to slow. So I really don't know when the party's going to be over. I don't know whether it's two days, two weeks, two months, or two years. But I'll know it when I see it because I'll see it on the charts and it'll start rolling over and we have rules to get us out. That's what makes me... Feel comfortable. All right. Do we? Do you want to do a little more market analysis, or do you want to go to Mike?
0: Yeah, I want to. I want to follow up. You just gave negative headlines on two countries, Japan and China. Here's the first one: Japan. The market is not in any way, shape, or form yet. This is up uh, about 17 percent off the lows, while the S and P's up about 22 percent. So you'll notice this chart looks good, but on a relative basis, we always talk about relative strength. This is the squiggly blue line here, the relative strength line uh not keeping up with the united states but still in an uptrend. that's japan let's flip to china uh this is a case where the headline matches uh <laughs> or the price action matches the headline that's just a massive downtrend that china has been is in and has been in complete opposite uh, and another case for not being in emerging markets. I mean, look at the re- relative weakness on that chart uh, in China. So again, the headline is one thing. The price action is something else.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. And, and I will say that the China story, they've been struggling for a while. This Japanese story is a little bit fresher. It's a little bit newer. And you're right. It's it has not The Japanese market has not rolled over yet. And it may not for a while. But that's why we watch the charts because the charts will tell us the relative strength and some other things. And we don't own it anyway because, look, even though they're doing well this year, if you're making more money in the United States, there's no reason to be overseas and have double risk. You've got not only the stock market risk, the risk that it goes up in price, but when you bring the money back from a foreign investment, you've got the translation risk, the currency risk. So you've got extra risk when you invest abroad, even if you're using American ETFs denominated in American dollars. They still got to go buy this stuff in Japan, folks. Okay? You've got overseas risk, international risk, and extra risk. And if the U.S. markets are stronger than the international, there is no reason to be in international markets. You're making less return with more risk. And on a risk-adjusted in, in in risk-adjusted terminology, in fancy investment jargon, that sucks, okay? So don't be an international. Don't be an overseas. You don't need it right now. When that thing turns, we'll see that. So anyway, thanks, Don. All right. All right. What's, what's so,
0: next? And yeah, two segments I wanted to talk about. The first one is about sizing into earnings, and I want to give three examples of fundamentally sound stocks that had earnings and went down one and a half to over 2% against uh, their uh, predicted move. This is Fastly, uh, their cloud platform operator. Uh, they've, they're pretty much in the right uh, segment, sector that they wanna be taking advantage of uh, growth in networking. As part of AI, we're forming a nice cup and handle that they broke out of, and then reported earnings. And the reaction to earnings, uh, the stock was down yesterday. Uh, let's see what percent it was. Thirty point six percent yesterday, and then it's down another four percent today. So sizing into earnings. I hear people talk about, you know, uh, if you if you're up a certain percent. Uh, let it ride. I don't really ever hear anybody quantifying things the way we do at Revere. And what we do is we size our holding regardless of the profit. Regardless of the profit, we size it so that we don't lose more than 1% of assets under management on a worst case scenario. And in this case, worst case is every stock has an expected move priced by the options market going into earnings. We multiply that expected move to the downside by two and size accordingly so that we don't lose more than 1% uh, of the total assets I don't care that you've got a big gain in the stock uh, the money is the same losses are the same whether it comes out of uh, paper gains or or something that you just bought recently now if we bought something recently and we don't have gains on it we're not going to hold it into earnings um, but uh, as far as sizing it, uh, it's it's not overkill. Uh, being defensive and managing risk into earnings. So, Fastly's one example. Another example, just from this morning, is Roku. Uh, big holding of Kathy Wood broke out of a base, forming a base on base, pretty nice looking base. Down twenty four percent today on nine hundred percent above average volume.
2: Oh uh,
0: oh, you you know you just you just have to. Uh, respect risk going into earnings. Uh, It doesn't mean that, so if you had an 8% gain, it doesn't mean that you can't go into earnings because I hear talking heads say, you have to have a 10% gain. Well, you're 80% there. Does that mean sell out the entire position? If it's fundamentally sound and it's in a great uh, sector? No, but just size appropriately to handle a worst case scenario. So that's earnings. That's the first thing I wanna talk about. The second thing I wanted to talk about is somebody on there are a lot of finance people that like to sound smart on twitter and uh this guy was saying if you want to be an investor you've got to be able to read a balance sheet that's ridiculous you don't have to dive into a balance sheet as an average investor one of the poster children i want to say for this and this this dovetails into something else that uh people like to say that's a buy it tuck it away and never sell it stock well back in the year 2000 Cisco was the buy it tuck it away forever and never sell it stock cisco just reported uh earnings and they're down since then but that's not the important thing here's a monthly chart of cisco uh, going back to 2000 cisco is still not above the highs that it made 20 years ago their balance sheet is still pristine so You go in and you read their balance sheet, don't care anything about price. You could have been buying Cisco for the last 20 years. Here's a comparison chart of Cisco. Going back, I'm gonna put it on 31, 1999. And Cisco is down 4.5%. If you just invested in the S&P 500, and that didn't work, uh, 12, 1999. There we go, Cisco's down 9% in 24 years. The S&P 500 is up 242%. Even if you just picked any random tech stock, NASDAQ 100 was up 374%. Cisco was the premier networker and they just haven't kept pace with some of these new uh, innovative networking companies. And there is no buy and hold forever tuck it away stock regardless of the balance sheet. The fundamentals always look good at the top and Cisco has been just dead money. Microsoft was also recently for about two decades until they got a good CEO in there who saw the value in converting to a subscription model and then was also able to pivot to using uh, their servers to host other people's data. And and Cisco, you know, Microsoft is not sending out diskettes to install software on your PC anymore. It's a it's a totally different company. And the point I'm trying to make is there is no stock to just buy and say that you're going to hold it forever. And as long as they have a good balance sheet, that's just nonsense. Cisco's rated double A double A minus, which is a very strong uh, credit rating. Uh, there are only two companies in the entire U.S. stock market that are rated AAA. That's Microsoft and Johnson and Johnson. Not even Apple has a AAA rating. From, don't ask me why. Uh, but <laughs> that's the bottom line. The balance sheet. <laughs> they didn't advertise with movies. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, That will give you that will give you insight uh, into the health, but the price is all that is all that gets paid. The opportunity cost on holding Cisco for for the last twenty five years has just been. Uh, not the the uh, smart, prudent financial move.
1: Let me let me jump in here real quick. So, so folks, we talk about this on the show. If you followed us for a while, you know this. Leading stocks, the leading stocks by definition, after a bear market, they lead in the next primary uptrend, the next bull market. They lead. That's why they're called leading stocks. And so they'll start to lead and break out, and you don't know which ones they are. Just because they were leading stock last, last cycle doesn't mean they'll be leading stocks this cycle. Normally, they'll last two or three cycles before their technology or something changes, okay? Now, with... Um, <clears throat> But leading stocks also lead on the way down. So in a bear market, leading stocks on average sell off 72% from their high. They have the biggest gains. And when we start to enter a bear market, actually before... Uh, because the the hedge funds and the institutional money will start getting out before the it becomes real obvious to the retail investors we're going into recession, they'll start selling off. They'll take the gains from their bigger stocks. So this is a true story, and I can talk about this because it's my own father. Well, he's deceased, but the rest his soul. But he's not going to sue me. So a long time ago, my sister. Uh, was, lived in uh, New York City, and she was a, a headhunter for Wall Street investment bankers and Wall Street guys, and she knew a guy named Stephen Abernathy. He's a darling of Wall Street. He's a hedge fund guy, and all he did was biotech and tech stocks. He had a network of doctors all over the country that would feed him information about the, the, the trials, how things were going and what was working, what was not, and he had a NASA engineer, a double Ph.D. NASA engineer for the technology and the computer stuff. And 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 he had half his money there with with the, my sister's friend Stephen Abernathy, and then half with me here. It, well, in a previous firm I used to work for, I for, started Brever. Right, this is before the tech wreck. Right, so in night at the beginning of 1999, he transferred over the stuff with Steven over to me because he was about to retire. And he said, look, this guy's, it's just way too volatile. It's way, I mean, I, when I was making a ton of money, it didn't matter. I, you know, but I, I just couldn't stand the volatility. I'm going to transfer it over to you. He transferred in a, a, a big, a, a nice portfolio. All of his gains were really from two to three stocks. He had a cost basis in Cisco systems at $2 a share. That's how early Steven got in. He ran it up, and it went up. At the end of 1999, I called him. I said, Dad, we need to to start taking some profits on these stocks. This is not sustainable. This is outrageous. This is crazy. Now, the S&P was up 32% that year, right? Our firm, the firm I used to work at, was up about 42%. My dad's account was up 92%. That's because half of the stocks that were in there were from this hedge fund guy, went up huge. They were like, just like, um, Nvidia or, uh, what's the other one, Don, uh, right now. Just, just keep going SMCI. up. SMCI. SMCI. Just, it just went on a tear. Now Cisco systems was the stock to own in the nineties. It was the hardware for the internet. It made all the hardware connectors for the internet. So they built out the internet, right? So from 1990 to 2000, it went up on average about hundred percent a year. It was the best stock to own. Right, and I called him. I said, "Dad, do you think it's sustainable to make 30, 40 percent a year in the markets, and people wouldn't even have to work?" But you made this much. We need no, no. The economy's strong. Interest rates. Let me talk to my partners. I said, "Oh, you mean the doctors at your radiology group that I went to school for just as long as they did, but for finance and accounting and portfolio management, you're going to talk to those guys at Reading." Okay, you go ahead. So he came. Now the interest rates fine. Fed's doing fine. I said, let's at least put a ten percent stop loss on the on, on 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 these things to so at least. No, no, I'm I'm it's okay. In two months, Cisco went from eighty dollars a share down to sixty, roughly. He lost a third of his, and that was a huge position, huge position. He called up, he was freaking out, and said, "What do I do? What?" Because he all of his other stocks were crashing too. I said, Dad, it's not too late to sell. In fact, the rate of change of the slope of the line, the selling, the slope, was still vertically negative. It's tanking. If it was coming horizontal and flattening out, I'd say, you know, maybe we hold. But I said, it's not too late to sell. And then he said, well, yeah, but how do I get back in? I, get, I said, you're playing last, last week's Friday night football game. You gotta, you're got to you only a couple trades away. You can, oh, you can buy you, just a couple buys. You can get right back in. No, 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 I'll hold it. So he held for another month. A month later, Cisco was at 30. He went from 80 to 30. Still had huge gains, but gave up a lot. He finally called me and said, do whatever you got to do. I should have listened to you. I'm sorry. That, that a very, very expensive lesson to him, a seven-figure lesson to him, made him a compliant client. I never heard him ask me or question me again about anything that's what really showed me the value and the importance of technical analysis my own family and ever since then i've incorporated and used it and i've become more and more uh dependent on tech the fundamentals are important but they got to marry up with the technicals because if they don't you're just guessing i mean that's that's my opinion anyway go ahead don sorry i didn't mean to go off on a on a tangent
0: no, that's it's a that's a great uh story and it ties into exactly what we're saying and you know one of the one of my rules is you buy on fundamentals and technicals but sell only because the fundamentals always look good, look the best at the top.
1: Hey, by the way, one more thing. So I've got what there are a couple other ones uh why, there were a couple other firms that were the leaders then and they went bankrupt. They're completely out of business now. In fact, if anybody wants to come by my office sometime, I've got the wall of shame. The stocks that went under in 2008. I've got these stock certificates that I bought and had them framed anyway. um, Look in the Dow. Remember up till about 10 years ago, eight years ago, GE was the only company left in the Dow, the 30 stocks of the Dow. GE is no longer in the Dow. That just tells you there's no such thing as a stock. You can just stick in a drawer. If you, See somebody write an article or tell you, oh, that's a stock you can just buy and stick it in a drawer and don't look at it. Fire them, in my opinion, because remember, it's your money, not their money. All right, Don, go ahead.
0: Let's uh, turn it over to Mike, who's got a good uh, dive into whether or not something is truly as mispriced as you think it is. He's gonna talk about the PEG ratio. Take it away, Mike.
2: so just before I get into the PEG ratio, to um, follow up on what Don said about, if anyone, first of all, this is why you need to be careful with Twitter because there's so many self-proclaimed experts that really don't know what they're talking about. And it it can be very dangerous to, to follow random people's advice on Twitter. But if anyone's talking about balance sheets and saying that that's the end all be all, uh, to fundamental analysis, and that's what you need to look for. I just have a question for the audience. How many, how many accountants do you know that are amazing investors? So like if it was a balance sheet, really like any, any CPA would be outperforming the market and very few of them actually do perform. So it, it's really balance sheets are just one thing but it's it's all about the the valuation and and really the most important thing when looking at a balance sheet would be is this something where i can really get myself in a lot of trouble the health is okay you check that off your list and you're like the the company's sound now get into the valuation but if there's some landmines in the balance sheet and you look at something like an enron you can see oh there's a couple land items there that don't make sense well maybe avoid that but anyone saying look at a balance sheet and and call it a dance, stick it in a drawer. Um, uh, yeah, they clearly don't know what they're talking about. So Dan, and that Dan's that's coming from exact, Mike Don's who's a- exceptional.
1: In, yeah. That comes from Mike who's exceptional in fundamentals. He knows fundamental analysis better than just about anybody. So go ahead, Mike.
2: Well, I don't, I don't know about that, but I appreciate it. I, I do enjoy fundamentals, but I mean, fundamentals is, um, yeah, a balance sheet is just a, a, a sliver of, of a fundamental analysis, but, um, this actually so that point dovetails perfectly with with the segment that I wanted to talk about which is the peg ratio and what that stands for is price to earnings to growth ratio and this is where you can marry in the um the fundamentals with that 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 and and come up with a valuation and see if it if it makes sense because for example cisco the balance sheet looks fine now it looked fine then but it's the valuation that got way out of whack. And the balance sheet isn't gonna tell you that. And a company like Nvidia today, for example, if you pull up Nvidia, well, they've got a price to earnings ratio of 84, but for this year, the estimates are growth of 240%. So when you divide, and this is the price to earnings to growth ratio, when you divide the current PE by that expected growth, you're actually not that overpriced and it's not that expensive because the way that you do the price to earnings to growth ratio, the PEG ratio, is that you divide the current PE by the, the future growth estimates. So you would divide the 84 by 240 and you would actually get a, like a 30 per, uh, uh PEG ratio of 30%. And anything below one is actually pretty undervalued. So based on those estimates, NVIDIA, and continue running significantly and then where you need to look into it something that i look more is instead of the current price price to earnings ratio i would look more at the forward pe and the forward pe for nvidia is 38 but then the forward estimates going into 2025 come down to 68 so even then it's still it's still well below 1 but it's not 30% that's more in the in the 50 60% so you've got to take a blended sort of average and figure out what uh what an appropriate valuation but the issue with something like that is okay from now based on these estimates based on about 90 percent of nvidia's revenues come from data centers so as long as you've got this data center expansion as long as you've got uh, a mode around the product as long as you've got 90 percent gross margins all of those earnings estimates make sense but as you factor in competition maybe these estimates come in lower and they're not where they were expected to be. It is very possible that those 2024 estimates, 2025 estimates come down instead of 240% growth and followed up by 68% growth. Well, maybe they only grow 100% this year. And then next year, maybe the growth is flat. Well, the stock would probably drop 80% and it could take 15 years for it to get back to where it is today. So that's, that's where you need to be really careful because the balance sheet, they could be flush with cash. Everything could look fine. The company could look amazing, but it's the valuation that no longer, the the fundamentals don't support that valuation. And that's where it's, it's, um, there, there's a lot of art to valuation. It's not, as I said, it's not just get your CPI license, CPA license and, and you're, you're an expert stock picker and you're gonna go start a hedge fund tomorrow and outperform the markets. It, It doesn't work that way. And, and yeah, something else to look for in in this peg ratio, something really, really important, is that it's really the, the the record, you've got to look at the history of that earnings growth to date, and whether those earnings are sporadic or consistent. And what that means is that if all of a sudden the company out of nowhere has 250% earnings growth followed up by 500%, but in the history of that company. They've kind of had a, an average of twenty percent, thirty percent, maybe even less uh, earnings growth. You've got to factor that in and think: okay, is this is this a fad? Is this really where the world is going? And all of a sudden, that industry is changing, and this company's done something different, and they can support that growth forever, or is it just a short term thing that will normalize going into the future once uh, the, those returns kind of deviate to the norm. And what's special about NVIDIA is that they really have a moat around their business. They, they're they so far ahead of their competition. I mean, NVIDIA is a really special company because they always find this niche where they can be the leaders in. For example, crypto. When you had all the crypto miners coming in line, they needed these, these uh, super advanced computer chips. NVIDIA was the only game in town. So they capitalized on that market, dominated it. Now you've got AI. And they're the leader and they're competing against companies like intel and and amd which are just way 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 behind where nvidia is so it is possible that nvidia can continue opportunistically finding these markets to really get into and so far they have a perfect record in identifying those markets and they can maintain the lead maintain those margins and really be a a leader so that that is possible but the issue is if if they don't, they can't maintain it. You've got Sam Altman now saying that he wants to raise $7 trillion to come up with a, a chip design company that can compete with NVIDIA. So, I mean, eventually the rule of economics is that companies in the long-term, their margins do revert to sort of the industry average. That is what happens. I mean, if you look at the auto companies. There's very few of them left. The majority have gone bankrupt. And you're seeing that with Tesla now. The issue with the story in Tesla is that they had, they commanded these huge margins, but now they're sort of reverting to the mean, which is why you've seen the price uh, kind of dropping pretty dramatically. So that's, I, I, I don't know. I can't predict the future. No way to tell. But, but that's uh, what, what you've got to consider when, when looking at these valuations and, and thinking about it. But the price will reflect that. You will get, you will get a top. You will get a sell-off um, you will get some sort of technical pattern there that, that warrants caution and then how the future plays out. Um, we'll see.
1: All right. Thanks, Mike. So, so I'm going to put my mic interpreter on just a little bit. So when he's talking about the peg ratio, folks, remember this PEs are earned. PEs are earned. If it's got an eight PE, a lot of times that's a, it's not cheap. It's a dog. It's trash. It's junk off the bottom. Okay. You're bottom fishing. They're, they, they're not make, they're not doing a company with a an 80 or 90 or 100 or 200 PE that's attracting capital because they're growing rapidly but if all things are equal say it's got a PE of 100 which by historical standards sounds high it depends on the market you're in it depends on their growth rate that's why he's talking about the peg ratio so if you've got a 100 PE and their earnings are growing at 100 percent a year next year their PE is 50. Next year it's 25, then it's 12 and a half. So within four or five years, it'll be eight, right? If it's growing at 300% a year, 500% a year, that PE is going to go from 100 down to 20 in a year. That's what you got to realize. That's why the growth is so important. And that's why price is truth. Now, Mike's also right with kind of the leverage because that's what the blue sky is all about. When they say blue sky on Wall Street, they're talking about the expectations and the um, 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 uh, predictions of earnings growth going forward. The blue sky means these companies deserve these higher valuations. And if they get some information or data that, ooh, they're going to hit a speed bump or their earnings are going to slow down, if they find out their earnings are going to slow down by say five percent, that stock doesn't sell off by five percent. It'll sell off. To, it'll sell off a lot more than that. And so they're sensitive to that. And the higher this market goes fundamentally, the more sensitive things are. Uh, the more sensitive these stock prices are going to become to upsets, to misses, to Fed not playing along. Okay. So the the more extended the market gets. The risk gets higher. So it becomes more important to manage the risk. It's, 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 look, I always believe in a sell discipline, but the higher the market is based on valuations, the more important it becomes, in my opinion. It's always important, but <laughs> right now I would not be buying and hold. Let me put it to you in another way. If you're one of those that just does that pie chart asset allocation model, where you're not going to make a lot of changes and you're going to, I would be having some large cap equity and I would be having some investment grade, longer bonds in anticipation of rate drops. And I'd have a lot of cash, but I would not be 60, 40 and all in. I would be having some cash on the sidelines, anticipating some kind of drop. Now, when you've got uh, when you're active and you're managing this carefully and you've got cell disciplines while the market's still going up and you're st- it's still acting right you can be in there and trying to ride it for as long as it's going to go and when it tops and starts to roll over you'll get back 3 or 4 or 5% even but you're not going to give back 20 but we may have another 20 or 30 to go remember at the end of 1999 I was telling my dad this is crazy this is too high these fundamentals don't make any sense The market in 2020 through March, I don't know, Don can do a chart, but as I recall, it was up like another 30 40% in in 20, I'm sorry, in 2000 before the tech wreck started, before it rolled over in 2000. The first three months, it it just ran out of the gates. Man, it was up big. And so you don't know how much left you're going to leave on the table. And if you try to guess, if you try to predict, oh, this market's too expensive, I'm getting out. And then it goes up another 20, 25%. People get FOMO, and then they get back in, and then they get burned. So in this market, you got to have rules. And I think it's much a much better strategy than trying to do some kind of asset allocation model. Uh, one last thing. This is just kind of on a little side. Well, Don, do you have anything else to add, or are we good? No, we're good. All right. Folks, I, I, I meant to say this at the beginning of the show, but I forgot I had a mustache and goatee, and it's kind of weird. I'm trying to grow it back here. I was trimming my my uh, uh, beard thing with my trimmer, and it's got a little plastic thing normally that, that, that allows you not to shave it all off. But I was trimming, so I had the, the, the cap off. And then I came, I forgot and I came down to shave my goatee and I went right down the middle and put a big racing stripe down it. And I asked my wife, I said, I, she goes, no, no, you're going to have to shave the bottom part and start over. You, you can't leave it. it. It'll take too long. So anyway, that's why I look a little bit unclean, not quite smooth right here. I'm going to grow that goatee back because I like it but anyway folks listen if you like what you heard please tell a friend tell a neighbor we don't do a lot of expensive marketing we're mostly by word of mouth and we put out more content and we actually are the only advisor that i'm aware of that actually tells you what we're doing while we're doing it don puts out a daily market insight video it's called tomorrow's insights every night the markets open so What we did today will be in there tonight and what the markets are doing and what you may be doing if you're doing it like us, kind of how you should be positioned. Folks, if you got, you can just go to revereasset.com in the top right hand corner. There's a subscribe button to get our daily market and this podcast. And next to it's a contact button. You can stick it in there and email me and ask me a question about a complimentary portfolio review or a topic or stock you want talked about on the show. You can also email me, Dan at revereasset.com or Don Michael. Ted or Connor at revereasset.com. And you can always, always, always call me old school at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Folks, we'll talk to you next week on Not Their Money, Your Money.
0: Because it's not about how much you make in the markets. It's about how much you can keep.